for part three of the Garden of Wisdom, the story of the clever one and the simple one, or the, the not-so-intelligent one. And I think we're either, I couldn't work this out, we're either halfway through or a third of the way through. I mean, I, don't, I can't work out if it's going to be nine or six different to, to get to finish this whole, this whole odyssey. We're definitely going to get to a certain point today, which is either a third or 50% way through. But I'm going to miss out. We can't explain every detail in the story. It will go on forever. But let's just start with a, a teaching from Rebbe Nachman. It's beautiful. Tov Ma'od, it's very good. Misha Yochel, whoever's able. Lishboch Sicha Lifne Hashem Yisbrach, to pour out your words in front of Hashem. Barachamim Uvatachanunim, with mercy and supplication would be the posh word. Kaven Hamishata Lifne Ovif, like a child, I would say, nagging, nudging, moaning, whinging to their parents. And we all know what that looks like as, as parents, and we know that was like when we did it ourselves. Why? God has already called us his children. So the idea that you would take a human relationship as your model and model your relationship or your conversation with Hashem as you would to a parent is because the Pasuk says, Bonim Atem Lashem You are children to Hashem, your God. And that's not that's not taken just as a statement of, of a poetic statement and so that we're close to Hashem. But it's it, it's taken beyond that in Rabbi Nachman's understanding. So how you would speak to your parent, you should speak to Hashem. Okay, therefore, Tov Ma'od is very good. To really express it, but express it in a way that you get it all off your chest. You don't just, you don't hold anything back. You might imagine a child having, just, just letting it go to their parent without any type of inhibitions, any concerns. Kaven like a child who's groveling and whinging to his father. Now, but what if you feel that and that's very nice. Like I like the idea as a religious thought, but actually it doesn't really express the way I feel about God. That's not no, I've not I've not been taught that before. It doesn't make sense to me to to express things this way. Even if it seems to a person, you don't you don't really have that relationship with Hashem. That you're like a child and God's your parents. Well, he says, well, that's lovely. But that's that's your subjective, your own point of view. But objectively, we are. So, it's, so don't get hold, don't hold yourself back. And linking this teaching to another one that he says later on, he says, the minute you try, I know this, but you, and we all know it in our own lives. The minute you try and do something good, a million and one things get in the way of stopping you completing it. You have a good idea. No, last week, so I got back with my personal trainer, did a, a forever several kilometer walk around Heaton Park with him, came back, felt great. Yes, I'm going to, this is going to be the year. But then the rest of the week, then you, then your body hurts because you haven't done any exercise for months. So the next day, your legs are aching. Two days later, your body's really aching. And where does the exercise come in between? Because it's like, it hurts. So, you, so you've got the right, to, they, you have the right idea. You want to do something. And it just always seems to be, not just in religious sphere, but it seems to be in every sphere, something gets in the way I know from there we say there's a, there's a blue Monday in January where everyone's New Year, New Year resolutions disappear. But if we can somehow, and again, as I said to you last week, the div or the first two weeks, the difference between this and another share is I don't have the solutions. And I actually had the great privilege of speaking to the author of this book on online yesterday afternoon. I did a, he was giving a, a question and answer session with a, colleague who translates from Hebrew into, from English into Hebrew so I only had to speak in English and they put me onto the broadcast or online video 
But my muzzle, as I went on, something went wrong with the stream. So they could see me, but they were completely frozen. So I don't know if I'm talking to myself, talking to the rabbi. I really don't know. So I'm writing in Hebrew to the guy who's like, it's kafoo. I thought frozen must be the word. In, I, just, I, I know what frozen is. I'm assuming it's the same in every language. The screen's frozen. So he goes, we can see you fine. Only towards the end did I start moving again. They moved and <laughs> we were having this conversation. But he really did. He said to me again and again, it's all about, you know, emunah. And you've got, it's, it's not something that comes easy, these teachings. It's, it's something that can give you a lot of confidence and a lot of inner peace. But it's a struggle. And <laughs> many of the questions I asked, it's a bit like they say in Parliament. I refer my honourable to the arts I gave a moment ago. Like he's like, I refer you to this book and this book and all the answers. So I've got to read a lot more books um, <laughs> to find answers. To my, he said, they're all in my books. <laughs> so why are we doing a question and answer session? Didn't quite understand why he just referred me to the page. Um, but again, it's, it's, it, this is a journey that we're all on together. It's a sense of being vulnerable in our learning, understanding that no one here has all the solutions. We have, I, no, we have the solutions, but no one has the, 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 the claim to be doing them all. To, to, to getting it right. So, if, so he says, Hashem's called us children and we don't have to worry about our own subjective issues. There's an objective fact out there. And if Hashem were to throw me out, he says, if he were to, God forbid, kick me out from being his kid, which he won't, but if he were to, that's another theoretical possibility. God should do what's right in his eyes. It will still be the right thing to happen. Once you start off with the premise that whatever happens is good from Hashem, then even if something turns apparently nasty, that's that, that would also be the best thing for you in that situation. We have to do what we have to do. We get so sometimes so caught up in the success of our project. You know, and we don't so just take that stage. You know, like we all did when we taught our kids how to ride a bike. You know, thinking, I'm going to fall, I'm going to fall, I'm going to fall. Well, just keep riding, and if you fall, I'll pick you up. Okay, besides my youngest, who taught himself to ride a bike when he was three. He just got on a bike in the street and just did it himself without stabilizers. But most normal people, <laughs> they do the whole running in the park behind the kids on that flat pit, and then they fall and they cry. But but we but that's, we, we get so worried. I think even as, if we're doing it as a kid and as an adult, we might still have that same mentality, worrying about the success criteria. So he says, don't worry about the success I have to consider myself, make myself like a child of Hashem, and then I'll be able to talk to Hashem in the way that I want to. Then I just looked at one more teaching about Purim, and deep into this book, I found chapter 131 in Sichas Haran. He speaks about Purim, tangentially, but his main thing here is something, he calls it a very deep secret and mystery in the Torah, and doesn't really explain too much here, what it's about, but he says that there's a principle, he says, through clapping our hands and dancing, nimtakin hadinim, we can sweeten any harsh decrees against us. Clapping and dancing can turn around our, our fortunes. It's a different language. Why? What, what on earth does that mean? And he says, then he says, and then it's a So it's literally, don't, it's, although he's told us earlier in this paragraph that this is a very deep mystical concept, okay, so it's beyond our understanding. So nonetheless, there is a there is a very simple or literal understanding. We should strengthen ourselves to be happy on days that are on days of happiness. For example, Purim and Hanukkah and Yom Tov, or at a wedding. 
So what seemed a bit like, well, how? What is doing that and jumping up and down? So I, I listened to a shit before, and I thought the, he gave her an idea, and I think, I think it's true. From the point of view of a deaf person who's never heard music, what does a person look like who's dancing? A total mashogunah. It's only because we hear the music that our behavior makes sense. Which is true. Which actually you can use that as a metaphor. I, I actually, my brain just kicked in. I used to say, I actually gave the same answer many years ago. So I said, if you take a football player, a goalkeeper, who's, who's trying to save a penalty, cut him out of the screen and put him at a bus stop, doing exactly the same motions. <laughs> <laughs> like, like another mishugunah. But you, know, you put him back onto the go onto the pitch, and he dives, and he saves the goal, and his team win team his, his team wins the World Club Cup. The guy's a hero. The whole the whole planet knows him. So within context, it all makes sense. Now this deaf person watching someone dancing, it's like a crazy person. Same with clapping. Like, what what are you doing? Why are you? <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Why? No, the deaf clapping is moving the hands up, waving them backwards and forwards because it is it. He's not not trying to make a sound. Dinim, severity, judgment often is a result of person A imagines themselves to be greater or more accomplished or more worthy than they really are. So the God that says, okay, you're holding yourself to be this arrogant twerp. Let me check the, the, the database. Now, are you worthy of acting that way? And if not, maybe you need coming down a peg or 20. So when you clap and dance in this in on days of simcha on yontif in celebration of the yontif itself and you're not concerned about your dignity in that moment like, like king david when he danced when they brought the ark back that the, the unimaginable they had the ark they had the tablets everything inside this and it couldn't stay with the jewish people and it was with the philistines and then they, they had a disaster and they went somewhere else and then they bring it back because as david comes to jerusalem they want to bring the ark back to the center of the jewish world and he's dancing and getting very excited. And his wife's like, you, you're disgracing yourself. And my father, King Saul, would never have done that. And David doesn't appreciate her comments. And actually, he, I'm better than your father. God chose me to be the king over your father. And the idea would be that when you serve Hashem without thinking of yourself and your own dignity, so there's a purity. That, I think that's what it really is. There's a purity of motive that's going on in the moment. Then the judgments against you get, get washed away get sweetened because they came about because you were arrogant you held yourself on some high level almost i'm just as good as god and now you're doing and you're saying by through your physical actions actually it's not about me i'm going to serve god without worrying about my dignity without being self-conscious without thinking about what other people might think of me i'm just going to let it go in celebration think, oh you're quite humble you're quite you actually are modest i don't need to i don't need to I don't need to do something in your life to bring you down you're you've done that yourself and therefore Judgment can be sweetened, which is probably why the breast lovers do a lot of jumping around and clapping and are quite into that stuff. Because these teachings express that. And if you can tap into that authentically, which is the big challenge, then that, that, there's, a, there's a, quite a compelling logic that you're able to, to act in that way without worrying about. And he had the rabbi who I listened to, who gave the, the, the rabbi from Breslov, who taught the explanation to this paragraph, he said... When there's big rabbis who go to weddings and refuse to dance, he says, or oh, they make up excuses why they can't dance. He says, no, it was intimating, I think, that it was more arrogance than, a, than any real physical disability and not wanting to let it go. 
and they, they want to keep that their dignity and their honor that they think is due to them by sitting on that pedestal and it's really not not appropriate i've seen it and rabbi shalom arush i saw a clip last week um they, they did like a an overview of his day gets up at like five in the morning goes to walks from his house wherever he lives in Israel with his talisans filling on already, reading, learning something on the way to shul. Then they do a little dance before chakras. Like this is before sun, the sun gets up. So they're all busy dancing and then they start their day and it's all sort of very... You can see that they're, they're, they're living the teachings, not just teaching them. It's quite fascinating. Right, so back to our story. I've, got, I've written here five points and that's what we'll try and do in the next um, 20 minutes or so just to get us to a really, really good place in our story. And these are all ideas that Rabbi Nachum was very much into taking your Torah study and making a prayer out of it. So if you hear something that resonates, if you hear something that, that does make sense to you, remember it and make a prayer in your mind. I, I wish I could be. And I, the idea is to put ideas into your head tonight to hear, to, for you to think yourselves, how would I react in that situation? So the clever one wanted to get to Warsaw and he did that. And he we spoke about how he, he, he schlepped and he, he served those tradesmen as a way of getting them. But when he gets there, he then wants to find something better. So he talks about, talks not nicely about these people rather than looking for a job. Now, the clever one's mistake illustri- mistakes illustrate the importance of personal prayer and true self-composure. With, pr- with personal prayer and true, com- when you're calm inside, a person always monitors themselves. Where am I and where am I going? What is the truth and how must I act? And this guy in our story, the clever one, now he isn't, doesn't anything corrupt yet. He's just not in touch with the, with Emuna and connecting with Hashem. He thinks he can depend on his own mind to tell him where to get to. And here, the question here is not to rely on yourself because you can never know the big picture. And you have to, your first step has to be, Hashem, where am I going? What am I supposed to be doing? How must I act? And the understanding here is, that a person who were to do this regularly, and this is where he referred me to one of his other books, to understand how to do this personal prayer where they go and isolate themselves for an hour. I mean, he spoke about Purim night, like four or five hours you isolate yourself and you talk to Hashem. I don't know I don't know anybody that I, in my world that would be able to talk to Hashem for four hours and keep a conversation going. Like it's a very high level of, of, of awareness, of self-awareness and awareness of Hashem. So he feels if we do this, we have this meditation. No, it's not. It's not a. It's a. It's a conversation. So I would sit there just talking. Like you're doing to me now. Right. So like Hashem, I don't know. Like 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 you're like you say to a friend, I don't know what I should do. Should I go to Israel? Shouldn't I go to Israel? Should I stay at this child or that child? How do I get around? Taxi? Like literally like that. Mm-hmm. But to God. Because it's as real as talking to anyone else. The only problem with that. Challenge. Sorry? Challenge. Yes. No problem. No, no. Challenge. The only challenge with that is that if I say to a girlfriend, look, I'm not sure which child to go to, I will get a response. Now, I don't, I try and feel close to Hashem, but he never, I never actually hear too much. <laughs> <laughs> Real good? Yeah. Fine. I'm not the only You're launching a Atheists United. <laughs> Correct. No, so I haven't read this other book yet. So when I learn this other book, I'll put come come and share it. But the, but this, the, the big idea is that, and the, then the idea is that the answer, the answer will 
manifest itself. Not not in some spooky, like, you know, a, a ghost will fly across the room with a piece of paper and go, look, that's the art. Although it could, no, nothing's going to stop Hashem. But there's, there's a, that you will then, having had that conversation and made Hashem your first port of call, then you will receive the indication of where you're going from that. So even if then you're, you, you then understand with greater clarity where it makes sense for you to go. Yes. That, that's the idea. You're right, because I don't know if everybody else feels this way. As long as you have, a, you have a situation, you have a problem, and you have no idea what you're going to do, and you actually talk it through with yourself, then at the end of this conversation, you still haven't come to it. Anyway, the next day arrives, and, and, and you go through the day, and actually, you can't even believe it, but this problem sorts of sorts itself out. You know, that, well, should I take a taxi? Will you ring up? And, and there's no taxis. So you know, well, I'm not going to take a taxi. I'm going to have to jump on the train. It all sorts of falls into place, and I've had this so many times. Serendipitous. Okay. <laughs> I'm taking the train to London. Okay. <laughs> living, so living without daily self, this is another thing. So it's, it's talking to Hashem, but also self-assessment. He said it's like living with no direction and no purpose. No personal accounting and no correction of previous mistakes. Rather than making decisions according to truth, you want, we, we become swept up in illusions and other, other considerations. So it's quite an exhausting thing to, to, be, to be doing, really, to think every day. Most people, that I, I don't know that many people, but whatever. When you get to bed now, you're just tired. Or you're like, I've got to go to bed now because it's morning soon. And it's one of those two. You're, you're crashing into waking up time. So you just want to get that sleep in before it's over. To have to make that time seems like a burden. But actually it's not. Because once you've, once you've made that time, you're then going in the direction that makes sense. Otherwise you're just going in no direction. And, he's, and, and this, this um, wise person here goes in the wrong direction he, he he suffers because he's not thinking and he's not self-assessing and he puts himself in situations that are not necessary what's fascinating is that Rabbi Nachman he says here they answer that these people are decent and it's good to be with them there's something very deep in that sentence however it's difficult to be with them because their dealings are done over great distances so if you were a jury and I was presenting evidence in front of you, there are two sentences here. Which one would you rather listen to? They answered that these people are decent and it's good to be with them. Sentence one. Or sentence two. However, it's difficult to be with them because their dealings are done over great distances. Which one would you... It's a, a personal, it could be a very personal thing. What are you hearing as the main issue here? See the clever one. Go on. What do you want to say? Dealing with them. It, it, dealing with them is is hard because they great because they have to schlep. Distances, yeah. Okay, so that's what the clever one did here. That's his mistake. Rabbi Nachman saying he actually had a lot going. He had a lot of positives in these people. They were decent people, and it's good to be with them. And it got me thinking about times where I've thought, like, you know, I've got to redirect my life to another another school, another place to, to, to look for something. Well, hold on a minute. I've got decent people that I, you know, you think in your sphere, and that that has a value in and of itself. Now, something that may not be a monetary value, and it might be overwhelmed by a bunch of other factors. And that, that could be the conclusion that yes, that's great, but ten things are wrong, and therefore it's not balanced. But here, even though the clever one was relying on his own intellect rather than turning to Hashem, 
He hadn't done anything wrong. He was honest and trustworthy. So he, God rewards him by giving him decent and nice people to work with. But at the same time, he doesn't realize, despite the fact the clever one had an inclination to wander the world without consulting Hashem, Hashem protected him at this moment by giving him nice people to work with. So that's the, that's the answer manifesting itself sometimes in your life. You, there's a lot going on around you and it's positive and therefore take that positive, not just focusing on the difficult thing. But in the next part of the story, Rabbi Nachman says he had a sharp intellect and therefore he wanted to go and work in the fashion business because he could see, he could make sense. I could do this and I could have nicer clothes and a better standard of living. But his, his sharp intellect is Rabbi Nachman saying, you're being silly again. If he was so smart, why was he so easily impressed by a mannequin, by a shop window? He's, he's contrasting his intellect with what he's liking at this point. Again, it, it's his, because he's relying on his own understanding all the time, he's being taken in directions that aren't really where he should be going. So the first two points, living with daily prayer, and self-reflection, not seeing Hashem's loving guidance. He didn't see that he was with nice people and that was as a result of him essentially being a good person. And that's really hard to perceive that where we are given a hug or something nice from Hashem, where we just, we don't recognize it. It's an extension of the person we are. We've now merited nice people around us. And that, that in itself is beneficial to our lives and nurtures our, own, our inner world. And then if he was so smart, why did he turn to the externals? So here we're just skipping out some of the details here. Because I want to get to a certain point. The clever one's intellect, he says, was wasted the longer he lacked Emuna. And this is the image we can take with us perhaps tonight. Emuna serves as a rudder, which channels the intellect into a productive direction. But with no Emuna, so without being aware of Hashem, without being aware that Hashem controls everything and everything is for the best, the intellect is like a ship with no rudder. It's wasted, even harmful, when it's not used for truth. No one can find truth without emunah. As long as the clever one fails to ask the essential questions of life, which are, what are you doing? What does God want from me? You're going to keep going in the wrong direction. People say, move aside, let me do my own thing. Well, this is my truth. Let me have a good time. And only then when they get into trouble, do they then, you know, I, I see it with colleagues who aren't as connected to Judaism as we are. They'll do their own thing. The minute someone gets sick, oh, Rabbi, will you say a prayer for someone? It's like they're back. <laughs> and it's like, well, how have you been up to now? Like, you say, God, stay out of my minute, my minute I need you, I'll tap in. And that's what this clever one is doing in our story. And the truth is, it's not just people not really, we all do it. Now, how can I get a better deal? How can I get a better doctor? We're always looking for our own intellect. How can we improve our situation? Is what can we do? Now, we can always do things. Doing is fine. Hishtadlis, effort is not, that's not the problem here. But I think the sequence of events that we're learning from this particular text is our first stop should be, okay, Hashem, what do you want me to do here? Uh, am I meant to be here or am I meant to be there? What, no, what, what do you want from me? I said that, I'll share with you, because you know, I'm trying to live these concepts. Each time I get into a problem, I'm like, okay, you're teaching this stuff. What does it mean? I'm trying to review it again and again in my day. So on Friday, no, when was it? 
Friday. Well, Thursday. Thursday, dishwasher broke. Okay. So I didn't break it. You know, the wife was away. I could operate a dishwasher. <laughs> it didn't work. Motor broke. Okay. The pub thing didn't work. So I called the guy, guy in. Jewish guy comes in. Yes. Go, well, can you fix it? Well, he showed me the cost of the motor. I said, well, the cost motor is X. A new one is X plus a little bit more. Just get me a new dishwasher and we'll just start again. So then that made the most sense. Okay. So we did that. And then the tumble dryer decided not to work. <laughs> I'm like, Hashem. But now, now this came after my car having an issue a couple of weeks ago. And Baruch Hashem, I got to the garage literally, and this is actually literally minutes to spare before smoke starts coming out my engine. <laughs> so, and they told, the guy in the garage told me when he took my car from my parked it in his garage precinct um, up to the ramp, it began to steam. So like he got it on the ramp. So I'm like, okay, so God, you spared me the expense with the car because Baruch Hashem, was only a small little piece and it could have been crazy or a new car and I got away with thank you God I appreciate that very much then the dishwasher okay it was didn't really want to spend any money but it was what it was and and he actually fitted it within two hours of coming he got, got a new dishwasher he called this guy who was at the suppliers he brought it that same morning okay so from problem so from, from problem to no one should need this problem in their life but problem to solution it was done Friday, I'm going to get all the washing done for Shabbos. Beautiful. Emptied everything, all done. Tumble dryer, not playing game. It was not... First of all, I thought, am I going mad? Or did I not put on the tumble dryer to dry the vest? But I did. It was just, okay, I think, okay, Hashem. So you didn't want to pay money to the garage. You didn't want to pay... I think, what... what no, I, I tried to do this. I tried to do this book. I, like, turn to God. I said, well, what, what do you want me to be doing in my life? Like, how much money do you want me to be spending on fixing my, my, my gadgets? Anyway, Baruch Hashem, praise be the Lord. After Shabbos, I sat down at the time of drought. I spoke to it. <laughs> Come on, we've got to figure out why you're not working. My, I spoke to it and I played with Google and Baruch Hashem, I found the solution. Google on the phone now. Oh, you can tell. No, my phone thinks I'm talking to it. Oh, it literally does. It's come up. It's triggered the thing. Anyway, it was the water hadn't emptied out and then something else needed fiddling with and Baruch Hashem, I fixed it. So then, thank you, Hashem. You didn't want me to spend any more money. <laughs> Excellent. But I tried to put that into sequence. Now, uh, intellect would have said, oh, just call back. Now, the fixer guy, when I showed him the Tomodra, didn't really seem to know it so well and in retrospect said something that didn't make any sense about, my, about, about the, 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 the tumble dryer. So intellect would say, call him back, just buy a new one. But I said, no, let's talk to God first. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's do the Hashem, let me fix this. And so it does work. You just got to like, but that's one time. All the other times in our life where we try to circumvent situations and improve our lives without doing the God thing. And that's what we've got. So we've got to think each time, am I the clever one or am I the, now the simple one? We haven't forgotten about him. He's making his triangle shoes. Okay, we'll come back. He ends up having, his life gets really good at the end. And the clever one, it really goes down the pots. <laughs> now, on the other hand, a person who develops emunah and maintains a strong connection with Hashem is much more focused in life since he's always asking himself what Hashem wants from me. Now, I don't, I've been in education a long time. I wonder if in the more religious schools than I work, kids are ever given that idea as a Jew. What does, do you ever ask, like, you know, little Moishi, you ever ask, what does Hashem want? I don't think anyone's ever taught that as a Jewish, like, but it's, and it, seems to be, it seems to be pretty basic stuff. What do you want from me? Am I doing the right thing? Where am I going? 
Without emuna, a person's intellect lacks a connection to the true purpose on earth and is therefore frequently misused. We see this time and again as highly intelligent people, such as world leaders, we've all seen this, ruin their own lives and careers by doing something scandalous and a simple person wouldn't even think of doing what these celebrities and these famous people are doing. This is the result of intelligence disconnected from emuna. A person cannot have genuine common sense without asking himself, what does Hashem want from me? Does he want me to do this particular deed? Hashem certainly wouldn't agree that a person do something scandalous. So if every time you act, you will, does Hashem want me to do this or not? Now, the answer won't be the same for every person. When my, when my older ones were very young, we first moved to Manchester, and, we had, and then our fourth child was born. It's, it was busy in the morning. It was a bit wild in the house. And one of the rabbis said to me, one of the big rabbis in Manchester said to me, no, Hashem wants you to daven at home in the morning at the moment, so you're on call. No, I, got quite, I was quite good at pouring Cheerios and davening. I'm sure Hashem loved that kavana, whatever. That, but he said to me, that's where that you, you've got, you're needed at that moment. One person can't manage all of this. It's a need. You've had children. That's where you have to be. Now, not every rabbi would give that advice. And not every rabbi would give that advice to every single person. But he, he understood whatever I was asking him. And that made sense. And that allowed me then to function. So, you, you know, you've got to be sensitive or no rabbi that I've never met, but heard about from Australia, who gives different guidance depending on the religious level of the person who's asking him. Can a person take more or less? And he understands not to break the halacha, but to understand who's doing the question. What does God want from one person is not what they want from somebody else. Yeah. We all discovered that, by the way, last year when it came to Pesach, we were well, two years ago with COVID, what we yeah. could do, what we couldn't do. It was still, you know, all things being equal, we, we could raise our game to a higher standard. But when things were crazy out there and we couldn't get things, then, then we can do it differently. As such, by connecting intellect to Amuna, a person circumvents so many of this world's entrapments. Now, this guy had no patience, this clever guy. He's running here, running there. Here we learn the value of patience. Even if a person thinks, that a move or a change is the best thing for him. Like this guy thought, I can't be with these, these schleppers. I want to work with another job. He shouldn't be rash. We learn here why a person should be content with his current lot in life. Despite the fact that he strives for more. Discontented people are double losers. You can say, this is, I'll put this in just so you can think about it. They neither enjoy what they have because they're discontented. And of course, they can't enjoy what they don't have. So they're not, they're, not, they're not living in the present or in the future. So we call them double losers. Not only that, they oftentimes give up a current situation before they have found a better situation and end up with nothing. That's why we should always enjoy and appreciate what we have, even if we would like to attain more. So this guy gets a new job, then quits with the other guy. At least he did that. He had the patience and the, the, the wisdom not to get carried away foolishly. Now, we need to have composure. I've got two more teachings for tonight. The clever one's del deliberations are absolute opposites of truthful self-composure. Rabbi Nachman teaches that the bulk of the world's inhabitants are far from truth because they fail to properly compose themselves. Most importantly, we should all ask ourselves, what's the purpose of all my appetites, my urges and worldly pleasure-seeking? The clever one would have taken time out and thought to himself, so what if, what if I visited every country in the world? 
Was I create? He wanted to go around the whole world and learn. Was I created just to wander aimlessly? Am I going to be satisfied or should I stop and do something practical? And suppose I become a goldsmith. Will that satisfy me in the long run? Well, I want something else. With self-composure, the clever one could have cleared his brain of fantasies and saved himself many wasted years. So self-composure enables us to look at the true purpose of everything. What's going to result from what I, I am doing? The truth is we can tap into everything. Well, no, what am I trying to do this for? Someone stresses you out. Why am I getting stressed? What's the reason for it? What? No. And also, none of this is easy. But these give us tools to, to, to help ourselves, our loved ones. Like, calm down. Take a moment. No, we've got this character that we can live with all week. The clever one and the simple one. No, what, what, what mistakes did he do? He ran to a goldsmith and he cut his diamonds and he became a doctor. It didn't really do too much for him. And this is really, and this is the, our conclusion for tonight because we bring to come to the end of a big section in this text emuna means that there's a creator and ongoing director of the world who controls everything we can trust him even when facing life's most painful hardships since we believe that he does everything for the very best we can turn to him 24 7 to speak to him to ask him to help us understand life's tribulations and to seek his assistance in correcting ourselves worry means living without emunah, trying to place the enormous weight of the world on our own shoulders. And who is capable of doing that, asked Rav Arush. No wonder so many people have to seek professional help. If a person realises that he's working for Hashem, he won't worry about money and livelihood. Someone who is focused on his true purpose in life realises that Hashem will provide everything he needs to fulfil that purpose. Hashem doesn't give you a yacht or a private jet. Supposing no one here has got one of those hidden somewhere. Then we don't need it to attain our, our, the point of our existence, the, the, the why we are here. So once you focus on the true task, why we are here, then Hashem will give us what we need. We actually say that in the morning, in the morning brachot, Sha'asali Kosarki, God has made me all I need to be the best version of me. Which really, if we said it slowly, I mean, short of the morning, it's just like bulleted out. But one who could take a moment to focus on that, I think it would save us a lot of heartache and a lot of stress. I, I, I've got what I need to be me in life, and I don't need what anyone else has. So we're going to end with a parable in a story. And so a person must realize that as long as he still breathes, Hashem wants him to continue performing his task on earth. As such, Hashem will continue to fulfill his needs, as we see in the following little story. A person came to Rabbi Nachman requesting a blessing for livelihood, ample livelihood. Rabbi Nachman answered with the following parable. Once a village textile merchant made his periodic trip to his wholesale supplier in the big city to purchase rolls of fabric. After he loaded his purchase on his wagon, the wagon couldn't move because the heavy weight was stopping it going anywhere. The village merchant returned to his supply and said, Could you maybe give me some axle grease so I can grease my wheels? The supplier nodded with a smile, offering the merchant all the grease he needed. The wagon then moved smoothly and swiftly, and the wheels no longer squeaked. WD-40, anyone who doesn't know what axle <laughs> grease is. In the middle of his journey, the merchant encountered a neighbour, a peddler, with his own horse and wagon. The neighbour commented, I saw you from afar. How swiftly your wagon moves. It's an old wagon just like mine. What's your secret? 
For the Jew, what's your secret, sir? No secret, answered the merchant. Simply my supplier in the big city gave me some excellent grease for the wheels. The peddler didn't think twice and made a beeline to the wholesale fabric supplier in the big city. He asked for some wheel grease. The supplier scoffed. I sell wholesale rolls of fabric. I'm not a grease dealer. You can't purchase wheel grease here. The peddler protested. Then why did you give wheel grease to my friend, the textile merchant? That's different, laughed the wholesaler. He buys from me all the time. He needed the wheel grease in order to get home and sell what he brought from me. So I made sure he got the grease. I don't keep grease in stock and I certainly don't give the grease to people that don't do business with me. Bibi Nachman then explained the guy who asked him for a blessing for, for his livelihood. My disciples devote their lives to Torah and prayer. They can't serve Hashem if they and their families have nothing to eat. So I bless them with livelihood. But in your case, since all you are interested in is livelihood and you don't devote yourself to Torah study and prayer, I'm not a grease dealer. Yeah. Grease lightning. <laughs> Oh, what have I done here? Oh no, there is a little bit more. Bear with me. Okay, this is really the end now. We see how the clever one with all his blessings is still unhappy. Simply put, despite the fairy tale happily ever after endings, happiness is a fantasy without emunah. A person can't be happy unless he's satisfied with his lot in life. So no matter what, this guy's never going to be happy. A person who is not happy with his lot in life can't possibly be a person of upright character. The big lie is that it's possible to be a person of upright character without a munna, as we see in the following examples. This is a shocker. Ready to be shocked. Oh, I was a prophet just now. What did I say after the story? What was my phrase? About the Greece? Exactly. We're, going, we're going back to the Greek philosopher. Oh, look at that connection. Hashem is with us. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, spoke, about, spoke much about the lofty character traits of humility, mercy, decency, and refinement. Once, his pupils argued about the interpretation of something their distinguished teacher said in an earlier lecture. They went to visit Aristotle and asked him, what did you mean? The door to his house was open, so they knocked and entered without waiting for anyone to come to the door. They saw their teacher on the floor in the middle of a disdainful act that we prefer not to describe in this book. Mills and Boone. <laughs> All we have to say. Now, why I know this rubbish, I don't know. But it doesn't matter. Shocked. The pupils asked, Our teacher, did you not condemn such actions on more than one occasion? Isn't this the very opposite of everything you taught us? Aristotle looked up and said, Why are you so surprised? Must the teacher of geometry have a head that's shaped like a right triangle? Of course not. In the like manner, a philosopher teacher need not live by everything he teaches. In the academy, we lecture. At home, we live. Can you imagine? This, this is a guy that half the world thinks we've got his ethics and that Western society is based on these Greek philosophers. A 12th century bishop was famous for his impeccable character. His wonderful reputation reached earshot of the Rambam. The Rambam was curious to discover such a person could have true humility and decided to visit the bishop. The bishop received the Rambam magnanimously 
and spoke to the rabbi with utmost respect. The Rambam was perplexed. Is it possible for a person without Torah and true emunah to be genuinely humble? Just as the Rambam was about to leave, the bishop could no longer contain himself. So, Rabbi, what do you have to say about my humility? The Rambam breathed a sigh of relief. The bishop was a great actor, for his humility was far from genuine. It was a mere ploy for him to command more admiration and respect. The Rambam saw once more that what he already knew without Torah and true emunah, that cannot be true humility. He returned home with a smile on his face. Remember this rule. As long as a person is disconnected from his mission in life, he can't be happy with his lot. Why? If he's not performing his mission, then whatever he's doing is not his real lot in life. So he can't be happy. If a person is not happy with his lot, he'll always be envious of others because they will always be those with have more money, more fame, more talent, more success. Without Tamuna, a person is therefore doomed to live a life of envy, disappointment and dissatisfaction and worry. Without happiness with their lot, a person harbours doubts, whatever he's doing and constantly desires to be somewhere else, doing something else or married to someone else. We clearly see that these cannot be true, that there cannot be true happiness without Emuna, particularly, this is central for this, Emuna in Hashem's divine providence. And that, ladies, is tonight's lesson. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.